0: That's a heck of a passage to kick off the new year with. Huh? Life is meaningless. It's pointless. It's like the wind just blowing. It's futile. It's a vapor. That's what he says. That's what he records. That's what a guy who might I add, and by the way, I'm going to say this because some of you guys did. who Probably those of you who are in there check this stuff out. Like well, there's no guarantee it's Solomon. Well, I'm just gonna say the words of the teacher, the son of David, the king of Jerusalem. He only had one son that became king, so from my mind, it's gonna be Solomon. If you want to argue it, I don't care because it don't change nothing that whoever wrote wrote about. So I'll just throw that out there for the the thing. I don't want. I know sometimes with an intro to a book, I spend a lot of time on who wrote it and why and all that, but there's no need to on this one. But this is a guy who wrote about probably what we consider the greatest, most intimate love passages of Scripture, the Song of Solomon. If You've never read it. It will open your eyes on a whole other meaning to certain issues. Oh, that's a guy who wrote Proverbs, a whole lot of wisdom. And then it's a guy who I believe, no guarantee again, but I believe at the end of his life, it's 900 and something B.C. He's probably sitting there thinking back on everything, and he starts writing this letter, this journal, this this book of wisdom, and I would venture to also say there's probably just as much wisdom in what he writes in the most depressing eleven to twelve chapters of Scripture. So depressing, people actually debate on whether it should be allowed in Scripture and if it should be there, and and why he, he, he writes and never uses the covenant name of God in the entire thing. You know, so there's all those debates, but he but he writes and he tells you about. How empty life is, how vain life is, how futile life is, how, for a lack of better wording for us today, how pointless life is. And if we stopped on chapter one and only did it, this would be a miserable series. But for the next few months, we're going to look at these 11, 12, or 12 chapters, 11 of them depressing, no need to beat around the bush on it, and then we're going to see a great ending. But I believe there's a lot of lessons even in the desperation of the beginning, even in the grief of the beginning. And it's because this, and I want to start with a verse from the book of Acts before we jump into all these verses from today. It's a statement made about King David, Solomon's daddy. You could, I consider it a life verse, something I would strive for, I guess you'd. Maybe your goal could be to have this written on your tombstone or something, but it's a a scripture that defines exactly what it means to live, but to live for God and God's purposes. Because what you're going to figure out as Solomon writes this stuff, is the reason it's so depressing and so vain and pointless for so long is that he's figured out like living for the things of this world just doesn't cut it. And until we start living for our Father, Until we can really tell the world how great he is because he is truly great, everything else we do is just like a vapor, a breath, smoke, fog. We'll get to that word in a minute. But here's what it says about David. Acts chapter 13, beginning of verse 36. It says, for David, after he had served his own generation. I just want to start right there and ask you this. Would you be willing to serve your generation? We heard a testimony Wednesday night, and that lady said, I've tried all these, I don't know if she said the word religions or denominations, but she said, I tried the Catholics, and I tried the Methodists, and I, I tried the Baptists, and I tried the Pentecostals, and you ain't never tried Baptocostal until now, so now you now you got it. We get, a little, we get a little high as 57 and mix some things up, and we get you right, right? But, but she said she, she had tried all this stuff, trying to figure it out. That was at the beginning. Then at the end, she said this statement that wrapped it up. She goes, I don't know, I think she it like this, I don't know everything, but what I do know is I'm supposed to love God and I'm supposed to serve others. And I said, boy, if we could just get that right there. That's David. David, after he had served his own generation, he was a servant. You're thinking, man, no, David was a king, pastor. You done got it mixed up. You're talking about the wrong guy. No. When it talks about him being a man after God's own heart and it writes about him in the future and for future generations, Everything it writes about was him serving his generation. Why? Check it out. Here's the most important. Serving his own generation by the will of God. He can then fall asleep. Imagine how peaceful he fell asleep, knowing that he had served and served specifically by the will of God. This is a definition that defines exactly what life for a Christian, or at least we, we as Christians, should be striving toward. Motivating, moving us forward to the path that the Lord has set for us. Not the the vainness of this world, the pointless wind that's blowing. Could you imagine if somebody could say this about you, that we serve God's purpose for this generation, for this community, and we served it so well for God's eternal purposes that we changed the lives of those around us? I mean, Solomon makes a, a lot of mistakes. I'm not going to take away from that. He messes up and, and wavers and down. I mean, we went through Kings, so we, we know kind of his, his life's free, and, and you could say, was it because he, he saw some of his dad's trash, or, or could you say, did he get right because he saw some of his dad's getting right? He served. But to serve God's purpose, we first got to know what God's purpose is, right? If You don't know God's purpose, how will you serve God's purpose? So this whole letter, this whole book of wisdom, as funny as it seems to call it that, it's going to start talking about a life without purpose and what that looks like. Because to truly understand what we're supposed to be doing for that, we've got to also look at the opposite, which is a life without purpose. There's a prison, other, other country, Russia, and, and in that country they, they pride themselves off destroying mentally their prisoners. So while they serve, they literally dig a hole. And they dig, and they dig, and they move dirt from this spot to that spot. And when they get the hole deep enough where everybody who's digging is in the I mean, it's, it's a monster hole. They all get out, and the, the, the guard looks at them and says, all right, now take all that dirt from right there and fill this hole back in until it's level. Can you imagine how depressing it would be? It's one thing when you know you got a job to do and you get to see the benefit at the end, right? But can you imagine how depressing it would be to just dig a hole for no apparent reason, and then take the same dirt you just moved and put back in a hole for no apparent reason either. I read that and I was like, man, that would, that would really break people. I mean, that would be miserable. Imagine digging. They don't get machines, they don't have all this fancy way of doing it because it's punishment. Can you imagine digging for months? And then getting this hole, you know, you, you you imagine the last person getting in. So that you can get all the walls right and you're like, yeah, we made something. We we got it. And you get out, and the guard's telling you how good the hole looks, and then he says, now take all the dirt that you just moved from here to there and move it from there to here to fill the hole back in. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I was like, man, that would be, that'd be it. That'd be breaking. And then it hit me, like, how many of us live life just moving dirt from one spot to another just so that we can then move that same dirt back to another spot to fill in the hole we go? How many of us are living pointless lives because we're living a life without purpose? This, this book, Ecclesiastes, it, it's going to talk about the insanity of moving dirt, piles of dirt from one spot to another. The madness of living life without purpose. Solomon writes, and under the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who might I add was supposed to be the wisest human that had ever lived, at least up until that point, Right? He tried living his his life for various purposes. His testimony, like some of our own, was that he wanted to live life his way. He wanted to do things his way. He wanted to experience things his way. And when he wraps it up, he goes, it sucked my way. But I give Solomon credit. Unlike a lot of us, he owns everything. He doesn't shy away and blame nobody else. He doesn't say, my daddy made me do it. He doesn't say... Uh, wife number 700 did it, concubine number 200 did it. He he doesn't blame nobody else. He owns it 100% on his own. I made these mistakes. I sought out this stuff, and I'm the one who's miserable because of it. He's not a victim. If he's a victim, he's a victim of himself, and nothing more. Look at some of the things he did. Just to remind us of Solomon, in case you weren't with us in the study of Kings and, and Chronicles, he tried living for life possessions. He accumulated the greatest wealth that nation had ever seen at this time. I mean, piles of money, piles of buildings, piles of of stuff. And yet when he writes this letter, he found that living a life for the purpose of possessions, he considered to be a wasted life. Chalking up your bank account to make enough money wasn't exactly going to fulfill his life. Next thing he tried was, was prestige and power. Solomon, had, I don't know if you guys remember the story. He had literally became the most powerful man on the planet, the most influential person at, at any point. So much so that kings and queens would travel the world. And they ain't had no airplane, so they was tra- you know it was a rough travel. But they would travel the world just to sit at Solomon's feet and ask him a question, just to check him out. We've heard your reputation, and we want to see how wise you really are. We w- we want to see and, and understand who you really are. Magnificent. Magnificent, wonderful. People would travel to see him. Yet Solomon writes in this letter that he found living for power unfulfilling. Some of us think prestige and power, position, authority is going to fulfill us. And Solomon says, no, no, that wasn't it either. He tried living for pleasure. Understand this. This is why I love that this guy gets to write it. Nothing's withheld from this guy. When you got all the money in the world and all the power in the world and all the all the authority in the world, nothing can be withheld from you. So you literally can try everything, and he—I believe he did. I believe at least a lot of it. Seven hundred wives, three hundred concubines. I guess he figured by the time you done had a thousand women, if you still ain't fulfilled, you might as well try something different. I mean, call it like it is, right? You imagine that mindset? What an idiot! Wisest man ever, I would begin to question. Huh? Phew. He had built entire, understand this, he had built entire cities to hold his sports cars. I'm serious. I don't know why you're laughing. Pastor, he didn't have sports cars. Okay, to hold his chariots and horses. I'm serious, though. He built entire cities. That's how That's how many chariots and horses this guy had accumulated. you imagine that? Nothing's withheld. This guy's tried everything. Yet in this letter, he writes and says, I find it all without value. Can you imagine? I'm not sure if it really is as exciting as I want to make it here in a few weeks or if it's really that depressing. A person who's tried so much and yet finds no real purpose. A a, a guy who who had the ability to have it all and have it all right yet to be unsatisfied. Man. Ecclesiastes, he talks about what happens when we don't know the real meaning of life and, and, and what God's purpose is. And he gives us five, this very opening letter, very opening chapter, whatever you want to call it, he gives us five tragic consequences of living a life without purpose. And understand this, this, this isn't a guy writing about the existence of God. He, he acknowledges, this is no atheist, he acknowledges that God is there, that God's always been there. The question or not, and here's the question maybe you need to answer. Because I don't think our society is really full of people that question the existence of God. Here's the question you've got to answer. Does God really matter? If God really does exist, if there is a creator, if there is a father, if there there is a a, a deity, whatever you want to call him in the beginning, then does he really matter? And if he does matter, what's it going to mean for your life? Think about some of the questions and try this this week. I I give you this experiment. I tried it with a couple customers just for fun this week, right? Which I'm serious, but but, but try it this week. Ask some people some pointless questions and it don't matter what their answers are. Ask them their favorite color or ask them, you know, their favorite car, their favorite motor, their, you know, whatever. Ask them, ask for a favorite football team, you know, go through a list of things and see how quick they shot them out. I consider all those things, pointless things. That don't really matter. And then ask them, about what happens after you die. And it's not even sometimes that they won't know the answer. It's the pause. They're so sure about their favorite color. They're so sure about their favorite sports team. They're so sure about who their favorite person is or what their favorite movie was or what their favorite book to read was. So quick, so sure, so positive. Yet as soon as we, we switch it to something that matters for eternity, I believe even the people who are sure still have to pause and contemplate. Man, that's that's a forever thing. What do you mean by the word e- eternity? What do you mean what happens after I'm, I'm gone? What do you mean what's left when I'm no longer here? It's not a question of whether God exists. It's a question of whether the God that does exist is affecting your life. If what he says in his word really matters, if your response to him goes beyond this earthly life and this this book it i wrote it down this way i had to write it down just to make sure i got it right the book that portrays the pointlessness of everything really does have a point to make it's right it's right the book that portrays the pointlessness of everything really does have a point to make it's a bunch of pointlessness Man, I, I've read, I, I don't know how many times I've read it this week now, to be honest. Especially over the, the course of the last almost month now that I knew where we were going ahead of you guys. But just hearing Alan read, hearing somebody else read it, every time he said it, I was like, oh, wow. You know what I'm saying? I mean, could you imagine sitting down with Joe Blow down the street or having coffee with one of your coworkers? And, Man, let me read this to you. Life is pointless. Life sucks. Life is like the wind. It blows, and then it's gone. And then just stopping. Did you imagine that, though? If you don't discuss and think about what he's saying and, and understand where he's coming from, we miss it. We miss what he's doing. We write about all his wisdom, and we write about all his his stuff. And this this is a journal of a guy at the end of life who's tried it all. And here's what he says, point number one, consequence number one. Life without purpose is useless. It's useless. You look at verses 2 through 4. And this, this teacher, this pre- actual word there is kind of preacher, really. comes from a Hebrew word that means the, the speaker at a gathering. The son of David, king of Jerusalem, this Solomon. And he says, absolute futility. Useless. Absolutely meanless. I, I, like, I like this translation. The vanity of vanities. And he repeats it again later. It's so bad he's got to repeat it twice. It's, it's not only vain. It's the vanity of the vanities. It's the opposite of Isaiah when he looked at God sitting upon the throne. He said, that's the holy of holies right there. And, and this culture, when you said the something of the something, I mean, that meant it was to the extreme. The vanity of vanities. This, this preacher, this speaker, this teacher. He begins this—I call it a sermon. I know it's a journal. He begins this journal with his first conclusion. No, it's not his ultimate conclusion, but his first conclusion, his very first conclusion, is that looking at life all around, looking at all the stuff that the world has to offer, he judges it, and he says it's—it's it's meaningless. It's—it's it's useless. It's a wisp of vapor, a puff of wind, a mere breath. It's nothing you can—and here's what he's saying. He's not saying life doesn't exist. The Hebrew word here is Hibel. I'm probably saying it wrong. Hebel, I think it's hevel. Hebel. H-E-V-E-L, or H-E-V-E-L. H-E-B-E-L in our spelling. Um. So, so, you know, but 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 what he's saying here is is it's a fog. It's a smoke. It's like a cloud. Anybody remember the first time they flew? I remember the first time I flew, I felt like a little kid. I was flying to propose to my wife. So, her girlfriend at the time. So so that in itself had me all giddy, you know, feeling like one of those stupid little teenagers. And so, so like, I'm doing that, and when I'm flying, I'm like, I'm going to get to see clouds. Like, literally, I, I made sure to get a window seat. I was like this little two-year-old, even though I was 20, 21, 20. I don't know how old I was. I was old, way older than I should have been to be excited about being in the clouds, right? And I'm all excited to sit in this window, and we fly through the first cloud, and I'm like, huh. I've seen clouds before on Highway 61 going to work. Because that's what it was about like. It was about like fog. It was there, but it was meaningless. Anybody skydived? Probably one of the few thrills of life. At least my wife says I hadn't did it yet because I'm a little overweight uh, to do it the right way the first time. Right? But 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 it was one of the few thrills. She said lived up to the height. So if you've done it, you may may, may agree, you may not. Maybe never do it again. But, but man, I, I would have been so excited to go through a cloud until the experience on a plane where I'm just like, huh, it was just like fog. It was just like smoke. It was just like a, like a vapor, like a breath. Yeah. You, you ever get up on those cold mornings, the last couple of mornings, and the first time you breathe outside, you see that, that breath come out. It's there. It's, it's real. But if you were to try to grab it, this is what the author's writing. This is the picture he's trying to paint for us. It's Life is real. Life is there, but if you were to try to put hands on it, it's it's nothing. It's meaningless. This is the picture he's painting for these guys. He's saying it's a it, it's a completion that never delivers. you not saying like you, you, you have the excitement of that completion, but yet it just doesn't deliver anything to you. You you, you work. And you work, and you work, and you work, yet you never see a promise of the delivery of the work. You just continue to work, continue to to get it done. Too many things cost too much that require more, more work. You do a task, and then there's more work. I think of it, nothing to degrade anybody, but if you're an assembly line worker, I don't know how you do it. Because I think of like the same person that just sits on an assembly line, and they see the same thing come by, and 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 then I would want to jump on the conveyor belt myself and get me out of there. That's what he's describing it as. And maybe it's not even the work. Maybe it's the success of work, right? Now, let, me, let me give you an idea. And My wife happens to be in Kids Haven right now, and I'm a tutor horn for the first time on, on a football team that I don't like on a player that I really don't like, to be quite honest with everybody in the room. Tom Brady's got to be the greatest quarterback of all time, though. I don't like the man, so don't you dare think I'm tooting his horn, right? But anybody who's got more Super Bowl rings than any team, (laughs) he's earned it. I remember watching a a 25-point deficit against the Falcons. God bless you if you're a Falcon fan. Sorry. Megan and them aren't here, thank goodness. Right? (laughs) But, But I remember watching them come all the way back, get all the way to overtime, into Super Bowl, first Super Bowl ever in overtime. The excitement that's there, right? They've they've come all the way back from 25 points down, get into overtime for the first time ever in a Super Bowl, and win it. I think that was like his fourth or something. I can't remember. He gets MVP. He's He's the man. And in June, he sits down on 60 Minutes with a guy named Steve Croft. Some of you may have watched it before. In fact, I'm not even. I was going to read it because I have the, the line for line quote from it. But, but Katie Beth, go to the, go to the video, and I just want you guys to see it yourselves. What he says about being satisfied in life. And I don't know about you, but how it surprises me. Listen to this. But with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings, and? and still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I wish I knew. What's the answer? Tom Brady, you made it, you got to college, you got a free ride. You were sitting at your house during the NFL draft, and you thought it was all over, but in the sixth round, somebody did finally say, you know what, I do need a nobody. Let me let me get that extra quarterback and bring him on over. And So you made it to the NFL. Sure it was round six, sure it was the end, but you made it. Drew Bledsoe got hurt a couple years later, you had to step up and play in the game. Never thought you'd even get game time. He was a practice squad quarterback, but but now you've now you now you've got the opportunity to get in a game and play for a quarterback that had an awesome career before you. What you going to do? Oh, I'm going to win games. I'm going to win a lot of games. I'm going to win so many games. I'm going to win so many playoffs. I'm going to score so many points. I'm going to make it to Super Bowls. I'm not only going to win one Super Bowl, two Super Bowl, three Super Bowl. I think he's up to seven now. I'm going to win a whole bunch of Super Bowls. Matter of fact, I'm going to be so good in the Super Bowl that they're going to give me MVPs. Dang, Tom Brady, you got to be the most happy person in the world with what you've done, with the gift that you've been blessed. What they didn't go into, because I mean, Crystal edited it, but, but but in the beginning, it talks about how much money he's got. He's married to a super, oh, he was married to a supermodel because he's still chasing the crap of this world, so now he doesn't have that anymore, and he doesn't have his kids anymore. See what happens when you keep chasing stuff that's pointless? Even after successes? Could you imagine those six? Guys, those are successes. I don't know what the percentage is. I should have Googled it and tried to check it out for you. But I bet those are percentages that point percent of people will ever experience in life. I don't know. Well, there's only been, what, 50-something Super Bowls. So there's only been 50 people in the entire world that have ever gotten an MVP in the Super Bowl. Oh, except it's less than that because he got multiple of them. And still not satisfied. Still not thrilled. Guys, what I'm trying to say and what I believe Solomon's trying to say is you keep chasing all the stuff you want in this world and think it's going to satisfy you. And until you got the gospel, I'm not trying to get to chapter 12, but until you get to the end of the letter, it ain't going to work. I hear people all the time Well, I'm trying to chase this job. And when I get that truck and and when I get that lift kit and I get that rim tire, you know, when when I get this, when I got that, when I get this, no, till you get Jesus, it ain't enough. Guys man, I, I want to cry right now for that video. And I don't even like that guy. You imagine what I do if one of you guys that I do like said something like that? I don't know. Somebody give that man the gospel. I wish Steve Croft at that moment right there would have opened his Bible and just started preaching to him. Maybe it would have saved his marriage and his kids. I'm not trying to degrade demand in any way, but I'm going to be honest, guys. When I watch that interview and I think of where he is today, still choosing fame, maybe money. I don't know. I don't know what what enough money is when you get to the point of multi-millions. But still choosing stuff that will eventually go away. When your wife just says, please. Imagine being married to a supermodel who, by the way, makes enough money that you could give money back to your team so that you could recruit other players. I forgot to leave that out. He's got so much money, he could actually give money back to the Patriots so that the Patriots could then recruit more people, which is why they were able to get a dynasty going. Forgot all about that. Imagine having that much money, that smoking hot, supermodel wife, and her saying, just just retire so we can spend time together so, so that you can help me raise the kids. He uh, uh Little Billy, that's not his name. Little Billy wants you to coach the football team. Anybody ask y'all who he is? <laughs> I'm talking trash about his daddy, not him, okay? But but but, could you imagine that? Could you imagine being being so serious about the, the, the debate of it that you would take a couple months away from your, your new team that, that you got recruited to that you've also won the Super Bowl with so you could have retired on top yet again and then coming back from that being like, you know what? Giselle, you you go your way. I'm going to go mine. I still got stuff to chase, like chasing the wind. A life without purpose is useless. You know what else it is? That that leads me into point number two. We can jump all the way down to verses five through seven. A a life without purpose is tiring. It's tiring. It's tiring chasing stuff that doesn't matter. It's tiring chasing stuff that doesn't satisfy. It's tiring. It's tiring. You ever ever looked at people that you can tell have been chasing stuff that doesn't have a relationship with the Lord and and they're just, they're beat and wore out. They're always just, they're never satisfied. They're just chasing the next thing. Well, I just want the next job. I just want the next race. I just want the next girl. I just want the next guy. I just, it's never enough. And when it's never enough, it's time. I love the way he puts it in five through seven, man. You got to love this writing. He says this, I summed it this way. It's cycles that never stop. A life without purpose is a cycle that doesn't stop. You're just walking in circles. You're just digging a hole, moving dirt from one area to another, so then you can take that dirt and put it back in the other one. The first one he says in the picture, life without purpose is, is in the circles. right? It's like a, like being on a merry-go-round. You, you, you got something for the kid to do, but the kid ain't going nowhere, right? The first one he says is the rotation of the sun. I don't know how many mornings he had to get up and have him a cup of coffee, while sitting in the garage looking at all the sports cars, chariots, and horses, right? I don't know how many evenings he sat back on the palace up at the upper level and then looked at all the possessions, all the area, all the land, all the wealth he had gained, drinking another cup of coffee, that he had to determine, you know what, every morning the sun goes up and every evening the sun goes down. And that's my life. My life is like the sun. It just goes up and it just goes down. It comes up again and it goes down That's the summary he's got for his life. Next picture he has, I'm going to give all three pictures so we can get to wrap-up of it. Next picture he has is the swirling nature of wind. He says, well, wind's just, wind's just cycling. It's just, just blowing. Can you imagine? I, I love God knows I'm a visual guy, so, so he's got to bless me with the ability to just get to see stuff sometime that other people don't get to see. And I'm so grateful that he does. It helps me in my relationship. It helps me grow. Right? But but could you imagine if, if, if I was this guy sitting there looking at the wind? God, give me some inspiration. Your life is like the wind. It just blows in a circle. And then it blows in another circle. Then it blows in another circle. All right, God, that was depo- uh, depressing. How about a different a different one? Oh, okay, well, i got a different one for you then. Here's, here's the other one he gives. Here's the third one. He says it's like the waters that flow to the sea. Look at what he says here, though. It's like waters that flow to the sea, but the sea's never full. Man, now we're talking about his life, aren't we? It's like, Solomon, you, you had that queen travel all the way, and if she'd have sat in front of anybody else and asked questions and admired them, they would have felt great about it, but you you were just like, well, it was just water flowing to the sea, and the sea never gets full. The sea never gets full because there's evaporation, and the evaporation sucks it up into those clouds that are like a, like a havel, just a, a fog, a vapor, a, a breath that's there that then lets water fall back to the earth, back into the river. That flows to the sea that's never full, that then evaporates back to the cloud, that then rains back to the river, that then flows to the sea that's never full, that then evaporates up to the cloud, that then rains back down to the river. Do I have to keep doing it before you get it? It's just it's just a never-ending circle of no fulfillment. It's a cycle that never stops. It's a, it's a life without purpose and without meaning, and it's like walking in circles. It's like you're on this great big treadmill, Burn, and this may be a better picture. It's like you're on this great big treadmill. You're burning a lot of injury, but you're going nowhere fast. I used to use the rocking chair. It's because I'm a rocking chair guy, right? I like to sit in a rocking chair, man. My favorite thing about Beach Week is sitting on that rocking chair on that back porch just looking at that ocean. You know, like, it's just, oh, that's my spot, man. It's nice. You know why? Because I can move and not go nowhere. But do I want my life to be like a rocking chair? I want the meaning of my life to be like a treadmill where I'm burning a lot of energy but going nowhere. I read a survey this week asking people how they are doing now that the new year has gotten here. You want to know what number one answer was? Number one answer on a survey, how's it going? You're, you're eight days in. Woo! You know what I'm saying? Like people get excited about the new year. New leaf, new me, new beginning. I'm going to diet, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get it going. I'm ready. Woo! The energy level, it's there. How you doing? Number one answer. I'm tired. <laughs> I can't make this stuff up. I'm tired. You're eight days in. Actually, I read that on Thursday, so that would have been, how many days ago was Thursday? Three days ago, so now you're at the fifth. You're five days in, and you're number one how you doing answer. I'm tired. Five days in, man, I, I'm still full from New Year's dinner. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I'm rested from the, the time off, from work. Like, There's some good stuff going on. No, I'm, I'm tired. I believe the reason people are tired is because they have no purpose. And flundering through life without a purpose is tiring. It's exhausting. It's wearing. Verse 4 says, One generation passes away, another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. He uses all these examples, all these these things of the circle, the cycle, and then the preacher sits back, the teacher sits back, and he observes that nothing seems to change, very much in the seemingly unending cycle of nature. It just goes on, and then it starts again. How many of you don't answer this out loud, but think about it for yourself. How many of you? How long will it take for you to be forgotten, after you're gone? How long? You might not make it a week. I read something the other day about your job. Like they don't, they'll replace you the next day if you're gone. Can you imagine that? But you live for your job, you spend all those hours there. You'd be replaced a couple hours after you're gone by somebody else who'll be replaced when they're gone. By somebody else who will be replaced when they're gone. How long before you've forgotten? I I, I was watching, the problem with watching, yes, I watch Yellowstone, okay? I'll be at the altar afterwards. It'll be all right, y'all. Swallow your little holy pride over there, right? Watching this show, though, I I watched it out of order because I didn't get in after, because I thought it was was sinful, too, so I stayed away from it until some of you Christians convinced me that I should watch it. So you'd be at the altar with me if I'm going to go down there, right? So... (laughs) So anyway, I've watched it at order, but watching that order, you get a neat little thing. So where it was in the new season, this lady's looking at this this grave site that they have on the land. And she asks, she looks at this grave, she goes, Who whose grave is this one? It's so like old you can't read nothing on it. And and I, I think it's the 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 Indian wife of, of Casey. I can't remember her name. But but she says, I I'm not really sure whose that one is. We don't What's her name? Why? Yes, you're going to hell too. Um <laughs> yeah, so, so smoking section of heaven i'm just kidding right so so, 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 so i really am gonna be at the altar today um so, so so she looks at it though and she sees this thing and and she she says i i i don't think anybody knows whose that one is and i'm like man they, there's it started in 1883 if you ain't seen that one that one's a whole lot cleaner by the way eh, back in the past things were a lot cleaner and nicer right so so but 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 that's where you get to see that, and, and and it's 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 the founder. It's the girl who picked where this 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 dynasty was going to be. And less than two hundred years later, they don't even know whose grave it was. If we were to walk outside, I I, I love the history of our graveyard, guys. I always said I'd never get a church with a graveyard because too much upkeep and headache and dealing with people. I don't mind dealing with the dead ones out there, but dealing with you guys trying to deal with the dead spots, man, that's a whole other kind of level right there, right? Mostly I'm talking to you guys online who don't even come to the church that want to use it. Well, I'm on a hole. I might as well dig the hole, right? Let's dig this joker, baby. Oh, so so like, 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 I'm, I'm sitting here, but I walk around sometime and I look at the dates and I'm like, wow, there's silver war people out there. There's, there, there's the children of, 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 of a slave that's out there. We don't even know the story, but but, but you, you, you check the dates and, and who who was like, like some people have done some history behind this stuff, man. We had some youth come up that had to pick history of of, of old buildings. Matter of fact, it was Preston's older brother, and, and he did it was cool cool things that he found. But who nowadays would remember what's out there? How long would it be before you're forgotten? Life without purpose is tiring. Number three, life without purpose is unfulfilling. Unfulfilling. It's 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 unsatisfying. It it's a consumption that never satisfies. Because I'm a movie guy, I, I I think of the the pirates on Pirates of the Caribbean. You guys remember? I think it's the first one, and he's he's eating the apple, and he's drinking the drink, and and he's talking about women, and he says we we we, we drink as much as we want, and it never it never satisfies. We eat as much as we want to eat, and it never satisfies. We find the companion of women, and it never it never satisfies. It's it's unsatisfying. And I know that's just a movie and it's a curse and all that kind of stuff that doesn't even really apply. But but that, that's the picture of what Solomon figured out. A life without purpose doesn't satisfy. We're always looking for the latest and greatest in technology, right? Uh, you, how many of you got a, a new watch or a new phone for Christmas? It'll be old in six months. Don't you dare be excited about it. You know what I'm saying? Like if you got a new computer for Christmas, that'll be old in three months. Three months it'll be outdated. That's how fast we're producing things now, guys. It's all about the latest and greatest, the fastest car, the, the most gas mileage, the, the neatest design. It's the best foods. Solomon consumed everything he wanted. He tried all the best foods. He tried the fastest horses. He, he tried the prettiest women's. I hope if he had a 1,000 of them, some of them were pretty, right? He tried the latest and the greatest of everything. He even had the greatest legacy. It wasn't like he didn't have a good legacy. He left behind a great legacy. Yet at the end, he sits down and he writes his journal and he sees the pointlessness of it all. If it was for worldly purpose. Solomon's saying without a life without purpose, you're never going to be satisfied. Your human soul is just going to be longing for more. History is just going to keep repeating itself. Verse nine, there's nothing new that ever takes place under the sun. I even thought about it. You know, I can't remember what day it was. We were. We were talking at the shop, and I thought, I was like, there really is nothing new. Like, we, we pride ourselves off faster flights, faster travel time. Well, birds have been flying since the beginning. You know, it's nothing new. It's a new way of doing it. We pride ourselves off, off, off being able to text in these smartphones. It's just a new way of communication. It's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. Everything we have is just an upgrade of something that was already there. And even with the upgrade of what was already there, we're still not satisfied because we want to try to upgrade it again. You want you want an interesting fact? Here's an interesting fact. You talk about having no point being restless. How many of you, whether it be today, and it's okay to do it on a Sunday or Saturday because those are your holy days of the week, right? But, but how many of you are going to go home and turn on a TV at some point during this week, whether it's today or not, and the first channel ain't going to amuse you, so you're going to push the button. And that channel ain't going to get you, so you're going to push another button. And for those of you that think you're smarter than me and you're like, Pastor, we don't have channels. We just stream everything. So, we, How far are you going to get into one show before you click another show and hit the back button and go to another show? The average person, this is the average person, will change channels on a remote 325,000 times in their lifetime. How unsatisfied are we? We can't even find something good to watch on TV. That, by the way, most of you are paying too much for for something you don't use. Right? I'm unsatisfied. For some of you, $325,000 $325, channel flips, that's just a weekend. Right? Here's Solomon's warning. If we don't see any purpose to life, we'll be restless, it'll be unfulfilling, and we'll just keep wanting to change the channel. We've created a generation that when they're not happy with something, they just they just try something new. It's why marriages are failing. Your marriages fail because you weren't happy, so rather than make it work and fix whatever the problem was, you just go get another one. Right? Well, here are my feelings, or she did this, or so and so did that. Why, why, whoopty, freaking do. <laughs> fix it, man. I'm not saying they're all great. I'm not saying they're all perfect. I'm saying fix it. Devote your energy and time into what the gospel says you're supposed to be doing and get it right. It doesn't promise you a perfect one. It promises you one that'll last. Right? No, we just we just get another one. You don't like that job? Go get another one. You know why? They talk about retirement. is not going to be for my generation and, and on. You don't want to know why? Because y'all don't keep a job long enough. Of course you're not going to have no retirement. You work somewhere for six months, and the boss yells at you, so you go work somewhere else. You make it there for one week, and, and your feelings got hurt because Jody Bloom over there didn't like the way you said something, so, so you got to go get another job. And, and then you stay there for like two years, but then you realize, well, I didn't really get the raises I wanted to get and the recognition I wanted to get, so I'm going to get another job. Never satisfied. Because living a life with purposes for this earth is never going to satisfy you. That's why. I wonder how many of us could change our view if our job then became part of our ministry. Wow. The unending, verses 8 to 11 describe the unending cycle of man's labor. Verse 9, it says, That which has been and that which will be, that which is done and that which will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Despite all man's work and progress, things that seem to get old even quicker than they did last time. Number four, life without purpose is insignificant. Verse 11, he says, there's no remembrance of former things, nor there will be any remembrance of the things that are to come by those who will come after. Fame is fleeting. You know, we used to have this quote that we'd say all the time. Oh, that person's going to get their 15 minutes of fame. I think we're down to five minutes of fame now. Think about it. Five minutes if you're lucky. Look how many records get broke now. Could you imagine now? You, you look back, the kids watch, you know, these races or, or you know, NFL records and all this stuff, and, and you watch it, and it's like, man, that record lasted a long time, but then the next time it gets broke, it only lasted like that. We're just snapping them, breaking them. Oh, look how fast this car is. Well, next week they'll have one faster. Look at how big next one it would be bigger, but this building uh, I'd be a little next week, but this computer uh, I'd be old in two months, right? It's the it's the over the overtaking of the unimportant. That's what I'm gonna call it. You know what I mean by that? Does that make sense? We're we're trying to overtake something that doesn't matter. We're overtaking the unimportant. Regardless of what we've accomplished, most of it will be forgotten over time. Think about it you ever been downtown and looked at the buildings and or maybe even just your schools. You ain't even got to go to buildings. Look at your schools and all, all that they're named after. Do you know who those people are? Most of the other people don't either. Yeah, let's, get, let's just go ahead and nail the question in the head. Do you care who those people are? Because I'll be honest, I don't. Right? That—that's how fast life without purpose becomes insignificant compared to eternity. Verse twelve, he says, "I, the preacher, the teacher, the the speaker, the the the, the leader of this organ, the leader of this gathering, this assembly." It's where we also get the the new uh, Greek that Greek word for church, by the way, comes from here. That's interesting, right? So, so you, so he says, I, I was king over, over Israel and Jerusalem. He said, I, I was famous for my wisdom. If the here's what he's here's what he's getting, at. here's why he's going to wrap this thing up. If the answers to seeming emptiness of life could be found by wisdom, I'm the guy that's going to find them. He's saying, if you can find them, I'm going to be the one that's going to find them because I'm the smartest, most educated one in the room. This guy's great. He, he, he literally gets his wisdom as a gift from God. So you can imagine how how, how wise he really is. All right, you go back to, to 1 Kings chapter 3. God offered him whatever he pleased. You imagine God offering you whatever you wanted. Name something, boy, what you want. Uh, F-250. King Ranch, because I like their story now that I've learned it. 44s. See how easy that'd be? I'm an idiot. Solomon... Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 3, he gets asked by God, name one thing you want. He says, I I want the wisdom to be able to reign over these people and answer every question, every situation, every scenario that could come about. God hears this answer, 1 Kings chapter 4, 29 through 30, and it says, God made Solomon so wise that he wrote, I mean, well, we know he wrote all these Proverbs and, and, and the letter of Song of Solomon and, and his journal here in Ecclesiastes that he's considered to be, in those verses, wiser than any of the men of his day. This was the guy. He knew. He knew everything. But here's what the guy who knew everything says. By the way, he's a king, so you get, you know he's got the best education too, by the way. So it's not just godly wisdom, it's education as well, right? And here's what he says, verse 13. I set my heart to seek and search out wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. The unique ability he had to actually be able to do this. We're not writing about a person. We talk about testimonies. We're not writing about a person that got broken. We're not writing about somebody who was poor. God blessed the homeless, but we're not writing about somebody who's homeless. We're not even writing about a drug addict who put himself in a situation. We're not writing about a guy who mom and daddy didn't raise right. Mom and daddy died at the age of 12 and he becomes king. Right? We're not writing about any of that stuff. We're writing about a guy who had it all. And even with it all, looking for wisdom, checking it all out, the ability to find it. He says this in the second part of verse 13, this burdensome task. I, I had to stop. I'm like, well, if it's burdensome, stop doing it. You ever hear people tell you something like they're doing something, and they're like, I just hate doing it. Well, then stop. I, I don't like what it's doing. I don't like where it's promoting. I don't like where it's taking me. Then stop. He says, this burdensome task that God has given to the sons of man by which they may be exercised. Here's what he's really saying. Here's what's kind of cool. He's saying this this vanity, this 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 futility, it, it comes from God. It's, a, it's, it's given. God is deliberately, well, here's what he's saying. God has deliberately built a system where life seems meaningless and empty without him. Now, some of you are thinking that sounds really cruel. That sounds horrible. But is that not like evidence of God's mercy and love for us? That that He would He would build us with a desire for that which should bring meaning and fulfillment of life? Rather than chasing after stuff that doesn't matter? Augustine, you probably heard this quote, he makes it really great. He says, The Creator made a God shaped space in each of us that only can be filled by Him. It's comprehension that never helps, is what Solomon calls it. Solomon gets to the end of this first chapter of this, this letter, this, this, this journal part, searching fulfillment through all this learning, all this education. All his legendary wisdom. Yet to his surprise, here's what he says the more I learn, the emptier I feel. Well, darn. You thought that was going to be the answer. That's disappointing. It's collections of wisdom that never heal. Knowledge, here's what he's saying. He's saying knowledge itself can never make us happy. It only, here's what he says, it only heightens the awareness of our ignorance. The smarter I get, the more I realize how dumb I am. I say this, that's a good quote that should go with Bible study. The more you study the word, the more you should realize you don't know. Right? Because I hear people all the time, I'm going to study like you so I can get it all. Well, you must be studying like somebody else because I ain't got but about this much of it. Maybe that's too big of a gap. I'm serious. The more I open it, the more I study it, the more I read it, I realize how much more there is to get. I realize I better keep digging. Right? But I'm digging for purpose. I ain't trying to get to chapter 12 yet, though. Knowledge in itself is never going to make us happy. Second thing it says is is, is knowledge really just heightens our awareness of how far off we are. So really, you could say it this way. Second day, it, it heightens our awareness of, of our sinful condition. John chapter 15, 22, it said, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not known sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. The more will you get, the more accountability you got. The Puritan Thomas Watson remarks, How unprofitable is the luxurious of knowledge. He who is only filled with knowledge is like a glass filled with froth. What a vain, foolish thing it is to have knowledge and make no spiritual use of it. All this knowledge, all these degrees, all this education, and still no help and still no healing because it's still all worldly. Where are you trying to get your answers from? Solomon goes on this search, and he wanted to discover the wisdom for all this stuff. And yet, because he continued to look for all the answers in the world and the things of this world, he discovered that the more he learned, the more hurt he felt. Where's your answers coming from? The weight of this knowledge and the wisdom made Solomon a cynical guy, man. Why? I mean, if you listen to how he writes these things, I don't know how many of you continued to read on this week to other chapters, but it increased his mindset of how pointless life is. This guy could have been viewed as like a very unhappy soul, right? Point five, last point, life without purpose is uncontrollable. I have seen the works, verses 14 and 15, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity, all is a vapor, all is a breath, all is a fog, all is a smoke, and grasping for the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be known. He finally just gets to a, as a wise person, you think you're trying to come out with something smarter to say, right? But he just just as point blank as it can be. Well, if it's crooked, it ain't straight. And if it ain't there, you can't count it. See how simple he sums it up, right? He's figured out, like, I didn't learn all these fancy words and, and all this stuff. But really, all I need to tell you is if it's crooked, it ain't straight. And if it ain't there, you can't count it. If your life is crooked, it ain't straight. If it ain't there in your life, you can't count it in your life. It's meaningless. It's uncontrollable. He's saying everything that we go through is inevitable. We have no control over certain things. We can't control when we're born. We can't control when we die. Truthfully, there's a whole lot of things in between those two things that we really don't have a lot of control over either. We worry about people that we don't have control over. We worry about sickness and illness that that gets everybody. We worry about the economic upswing and downturn. We worry about a whole bunch of stuff that we have no control over, right? It's just stuff that happens in life and there's nothing we can do to change it. So Solomon writes, he says, here's the point. While life seems out of control, the reality is the life of this world is out of control. But God is still in control of a life that seems out of control. Right? You can either move dirt piles from one hole to another or you can join him you can join his kingdom. You can join his community. You can affect generations for all eternity. Wouldn't it be great to know when you go to sleep tonight that your life had some purpose and meaning? And it wasn't none of this stuff that Solomon's chasing. Huh? Most of us don't have the slightest idea what God's purpose is for us. And I believe we don't because we don't ask. We haven't actually asked him. I'm afraid of how many jobs the people who changed jobs so fast, I'm afraid of how many jobs they took that they weren't ever supposed to take. And God just shakes his head like, of course you ain't happy. I didn't want you there. You didn't ask my opinion. Of course course the relationship with that person didn't work. I didn't want you with that person. You didn't ask my opinion. You were chasing the things of this world rather than chasing me. And the sum total of it all is life without purpose is pointless. He says, I communed with my heart. He looked inward for wisdom. Your heart is evil. We know that. Verse 17, he says, "I set my heart to know the wisdom, or I think some of the translations going to say mind. I set my mind to know the wisdom, to know the madness and the folly. I perceived as as it just grasping for for wind." He says, "He says I thought harder and I searched better, but it's still just just reaching for wind." How many of you are trying harder, digging deeper, and still at the end of the day you feel like it was just grabbing for wind because you're doing it by the ways of the world? Not the way he's in. Verse 18 he says, For in much wisdom is much grief. He's, he's saying, The wiser I get, the more hurt I feel. You realize that? The more I learn, the more heartbroken I'm getting. And he who increases knowledge also increases sorrow. The more the preacher understood, the more he realized I don't want to know anymore. Huh? This this negative assessment of everything under the sun. No one could look. And tell him any different. He's experiencing it firsthand. I think it's vital and it's important and it deserves to be in the word of God for that reason. He, he's not, there's no, I, I believe this is, I believe Ecclesiastes preaches the gospel better than anything else. No, I'm not telling you, it talks about Jesus being on the cross and how dirty your sins are or none of that kind of stuff. But I think when you really look at this letter and you realize you got a guy from real life experience who's telling you I've tried it all and it don't work. It's pointless, it's meaningless, it's tiresome, it's overwhelming, it ain't doing nothing for me. Pointlessness, vapor, smoke. A book that portrays the pointlessness of everything really does have a point to make. And the point is this, the gift is this. If we don't find the true source of fulfillment, we'll continue to live our life like a vapor. And it'll continue to mean nothing from generations to come. He's exposing one of our greatest, greatest problems and offering, offering the solution at the same time, man. Huh? He's, he's saying life apart from God is pointless. Life apart from God is profitless. Life apart from God is purposeless. Purposelessness, right? It's meaningless. It's it's it's, it's just vain. It's, it's the vanity of vanities. I'm not pretending to preach the gospel. I'm just giving you an answer on, on worldview right here. And that's where we'll stay forever unless we get what the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3. Which, yes, I do understand Solomon got it in chapter 12, but I'm purposely not using it. Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes, last verse, If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth, not on the things under heaven. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will be revealed with him in glory. Work, love, marriage, friendship, church, self, all of them designed by God. Designed by God. All of them. Good things. All of them have a place. But they're all too weak to have all your hopes and happiness tied up in them. None of them can ultimately satisfy When we keep placing the weighty expectations on them, we're bound to fail. The root of our problem is that we expect temporary things to bring us lasting happiness. And Solomon says, that ain't the way it works. You need something longer. You need something better. You need something firmer. So where do we hang our hopes for happiness? Where is our pursuit of the right way? Well, if Solomon says, all the things of this world, I've tried them all and they didn't work, I guess we better try something out of this world. What if God himself entered this broken world and offered more? What if he entered your broken, pointless life? Pastor, did you say my life is pointless? Yeah. If you're not living it for him, it is. I would rather me be the one to tell you out of love than somebody else to end up having to tell you out of anger. But what if if he promised to undo all that's wrong and you could hang your happiness on him? not not because there's not going to be any more wrong but just because he's going to go through all those things of life with you there's a lot of good stuff that our father's created that's got a lot of good purpose a lot of good meaning a lot of benefit but if you and I put that stuff in the wrong place and it becomes the most important when it's supposed to be secondary Our lives will be like a vapor, like a fog, like a breath, here and gone. But if we live for the kingdom, you realize we have the ability, guys, to make an impact on stuff that will last for eternity? That's kingdom-style mentality, man. You can't beat it. It's lasting. That's the kingdom that's going to come and get built and ain't never going nowhere. It ain't like all the ones that have come and fell behind. The walls will stand forever. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the blunt honesty of Solomon as he writes this letter. We thank you, Lord God, for the lessons from it. We thank you, Lord, for for opening our eyes and heart, Lord God. God, if we sat here this morning, our eyes and our hearts ain't been open. If we we didn't get hit square between the eye, Lord God, with the reality that living for anything this side of heaven without you in control, is meaningless. Lord God, I pray right now that you open our heart during this time with you. Lord, I pray that you take our our minds, Lord God, and allow us to think and focus on your kingdom kind of stuff, Lord God, not the kingdom of this world. Lord, help us to learn these next few months, Lord God, from the wisdom of Solomon. In your name we pray.